Good afternoon, everyone. We are pleased to welcome Dr. Stanley Arawil from Institute de Nephropathology in um, Brazil. He is a guest of Dr. Hollanda and he will be presenting today's conference. So um, I will give the floor to um, Dr. Stanley and... Okay, <clears throat> thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, um, I'm gonna talk about two cases today, two cases we had on our service. So let's start the first one. <clears throat> the first one remembers the myth of narcissism. So we're gonna talk about this. <laughs> um, here it goes. It's a 60 years old male medical doctor. He, he was a, he is a plastic surgeon. Previously, he was healthy and intercurred with acute renal dysfunction and hypercalcemia. 40 days before the presenting this, this, uh, these symptoms, the patient has also presented loss of appetite, myalgia, arthralgia, headaches, fever, fatigue, shortness of breath, nausea, vomiting, and loss of memory. Uh, a year before he was hospitalized, he also had a, a, a case of uh, a 30 days internation due to a pneumonia that was attributed that time and on that hospitalization they thought was an anthropozoonosis they thought uh, a horse that he had had a disease a sudden disease that died and he get that disease from that horse and they thought that pneumonia was a viral pneumonia that he could get from his horse. That was the only thing because they didn't discover what he had and he recovered, <laughs> okay? Uh, on that time also due to the, the 30 days hospitalization and thought it was a pneumonia, he made a long biopsy that didn't find anything at all. So only interstitial inflammation, but didn't, they was not uh, capable to know the diagnosis. But this time of this internation, uh, he presented at laboratory tests, a creatinine of 3.99 and a serum calcium of 12.5. Uh, also, he presented some uh, in, uh, liver enzymes, uh, uh, alterations and the serology for uh, infections were all negative including Bianca, Sienka and uh, Anna uh, and electrophoresis, protein electrophoresis all were normal and seroimmunofixation show a discrete alteration in light and heavy chains but not uh, a big issue, you know. Also, 
Hey, did we lose his voice? Yeah, we can't hear him. Hello? Now you're back, okay. Uh, um, okay. Whenever it happens anything, please let me know. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, so he had the renal dysfunction that was acute renal dysfunction, but on urine exams, he had no proteinuria and no hematuria after several repeated exams. But since he had no evident clinical aspect that could explain the renal dysfunction, a renal biopsy was requested by this time. At the US uh, ultrasound, uh, the, the thing they, they, they saw uh, during the, the biopsy exams, they, they saw a nephrocalcinosis. That was the only note they took from the, the ultrasound exam. So the biopsy findings, what, what we found? IF findings, uh, IgG was negative, uh, IgA also complete negative, IgM complete negative. C3, C3 have some issues. We have some dots, you see granular deposits of C3, mesangium, some on the capillary loops, little C3, but not very strong um, first. C1Q was negative. Uh, fibrinogen, uh, some arterioles, took some granular on arterioles. Kappa and lambda light chains were completely negative. So uh, the IF is the first thing we see. Most of the time we see the IF on one day and the light microscopy on the next day. So I called the doctor and said, well, it not seem to be a immune complex, but it might be some uh, complemented mediated glomerulonephritis. But we have to wait to see the light microscopy too, to have more concluded things. So then the next day we saw the light microscopy findings. Well, here is, we see a tubular interstitial. We see here a space of glomeruli, here a big glomeruli. And the tubular interstitial, we see some fibrosis and a lot of deposition of phos calcium phosphate. So the, the patient had that exam that showed a higher calcium phosphate. And we saw that crystals in between the tubules and the interstitial area. Here on um, more magnification of it, we see the crystals of phosphate uh, along the tubular interstitial uh, parenchyma. But that was not the most intriguing thing. Here you see on trichomes, we see the crystals and some fibrosis already see, but the glomeruli, they look a little bit funny. When we took higher magnification, 
what we can see, we see some funny things in between the glomerular tufts. So here you see the tufts, they, they, they show dilated tufts and some material, some negative, negative material at light microscope. It doesn't stain for anything. We see some of those materials in between the glomerular tufts. Here you can all, we can see more of that. Here you see it's very uh, round. You see sometimes it's involved by um, uh, inflammatory cell, macrophage probably. So we see here sometimes septated round stuffs in between the glomerulite tufts. Here you can see more of this. So almost every glomeruli that we looked at after it, we could see some of that funny things that were in between the glomerulite tufts. Very unusual, very odd, never seen such a thing of this, but it was all over it, all over, all glomeruli. We had about 30 glomeruli and all of them included the, the global sclerosis glomeruli also had some of that material in between it. Dr. Stanley, did this material polarize? Were you able to? Yes, uh, it, it did not polarize. It did not polarize at all and did not stain for either HME, uh, Mason Stricom, uh, PAS, and uh, silver, silver Jones stain. So more of this material, you see? By that time, well, I mean, it, I, I've, I've been doing kidney biopsies uh, 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 since 2010. So it's been 11 years I've been doing this. We receive about 2,500 uh, biopsies each year and never seen such a thing like this. So here you see, even the silver, we did not stain this material. So it appears to be uh, not staining material, right? So I looked after every book we had, uh, Colvin's book, uh, Happy Stalls, and over the internet, we did not find anything like this. Well, maybe we were, we're typing the wrong words, right? But when I recorded uh, something from my residency files, well, I put on what uh, was on the back of my mind. I remember a case I had from a patient that looked just like this. This is inclusive the patient that I had. I had the file from the residency. So that material it'll just look like that you see this material is from a bichectomy it's from the face uh, uh, was a patient that was treating for hiv so he had lipodystrophy 
And in order to make a better, better appearance from the face, he filled with this material on the, on the cheeks, right? So the material he filled uh, made a granulomatose inflammatory uh, um, reaction, but the material just, just looked like that material you saw on the glomus. See, round negative material did not stand for anything. So the material in this case is PMA, polymethyl metacrylate. This material is a filler they use for stacked purpose most of the time. And uh, well, here, a patient with lipodystrophy, in order to fill the cheeks, they, they fill it, it's a filler, né? Uh, so they fill the cheek with that. So the problem, I, I, I asked the doctor, well, did this patient use a PMA? And the doctor told me, well, I have no idea. Well, it doesn't seem to be because he didn't have nothing on the face, nothing on the arms. Well, didn't see nothing like that, but I, I'm gonna ask him. And he was a medical doctor. The patient is a medical doctor. So he called him, well, do you use a filler for any purpose? And he said, well, I worked with this. I do this all the time, but I did not use it. Well, so I went to EM and the, the, the doctor told me, well, you have to find a differential diagnosis for that. So a differential diagnosis for it could be, a, a, how do you call it? Adipocytes. A, a, um, adipocytes, a fracture, when one patient have a, a femoral fraction, a bone fraction, so that that stuff could get into the uh, the veins and make embolize, while well, could be a, a embolite of adipocytes. So, well, I just went to look for it. So this is a semifin. It's a toluidine blue uh, uh, stain, and we see that material. And looking with higher magnification, we saw that material, and it doesn't look like an adipocyte. So I insisted with the doctor, well, this has got to be the filler. It has to be it. So he, the, the doctor, uh, the patient, well, he's a patient, but he also a surgeon, a, a surgeon. He went back to the nephrologist and in his uh, office, he told me, well, well, I'll use that filler uh, at time. And he asked, wow, why, why you didn't told me before? And he had, and he answered, because he, I was ashamed. And when, why we were ashamed of that? Because he has used the filler in his genital in order to make it larger. <laughs> so the filler embolized into the Hey, Dr. Stanley, we lost you again. 
Hello? Yeah, now you're back. Okay, thank you. So the patient, oh, now this is unstable. Can you hear me? We can hear you and we can see the EM image of that okay. uh, filler droplet. Okay, so the patient went back to the nephrology office, office and he insisted, well, uh, the only gas that the pathologist has is a filler that used. And he insisted in the question to do, have you ever used that filler? And he said, well, I did, he confessed. And he said, why you didn't told me that before? And he said, well, I didn't told you because I was ashamed because I used the filler in the genital in order to make it larger. So I didn't want to tell you that I did that. So the filler probably embolized into the veins of the penis and went to the lungs, to the brain, to the liver, and to the kidneys. So it made the acute renal injury of that. So that the diagnosis of it, it now he has a case published on that. It's microembolization due to the filler, PMA. Also, he developed a hypercalcemia problem due to the granulomatose disease he developed. It. Something like just Asia syndrome, it can happen. Uh, uh, that's Asian syndrome is something they described after Gulf War syndrome due to a macrophage activation that make hypercalcemia make myalgia, arthralgia, neurological symptoms. So everything was connected due to the filler. Any questions about this? Oh, here, uh, we have on the television here, a famous uh, uh, presenter. She used that in order to fill the leg. After a while, the filler made this granulomatose reaction necrosis and everything went bad of that so not a good thing to feel <laughs> the body want to make any questions of it very interesting i was just wondering is this filler it's probably not just pure lipid in any sense because i thought it would have stained with toluidin blue on your electron microscopy thick sections because i didn't see that so it's here probably it, it didn't stain i think yeah yeah I, I think you're right it's methacrylate is probably a total like a totally different polymer yeah it looks clean yeah interesting very interesting case There you go. You want the next one or more questions? Any more questions? Are you able to understand me? Is my English very rusty, I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I think we have a comment in the chat from Dr. Freer. Oh, he is just uh, highlighting the symptoms of the Asia syndrome. Oh, okay. It really can be anything. Uh, it's it's so non-specific. People have described it. Uh, you know, any any basically type of autoimmune manifestation related to all kinds of uh, adjuvants that uh, have been uh, used in different medications. Uh, uh, really, it's a very non-specific entity. It's kind of a waste bag, basically, at this point. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just uh, put this to just to raise something could explain the whole symptoms. But I think just the embolization of the 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 filler could make the same thing. Okay. So the next case, the next case, well, something a long, long time ago. No, not not really. <laughs> just just to just to remember that we still here in Brazil, Africa, some parts of Asia, uh, surrounded by uh, tropical florist and very tropical disease. So I brought a case of tropical disease in order to, to talk with you, to, with you guys. So the second case, what it is, it's a 16 years old, 37 kilos Brazilian man who was diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis at the age of seven. He underwent a liver transplantation uh, at the age of 16. So it was like in the beginning of the year and he developed the symptoms at the end of the year. And he was treated with tacrolimus and prednisone. And before of the end of the year, he had lost three kilos and developed a diarrhea, bloody diarrhea. Also, previous this diarrhea, he had no history of fever, nothing like that. Urine, urine exams showed a proteinuria at 3.2 grams, a 25 hours collection of, of urine, and also hematuria and complement C3 was borderline. It was limitrophy. It was, it was not under the normal levels, but it was just on the limit. And laboratory tests showed pancytopenia. He had a hemoglobin of 8.1, uh, 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 1300 leukocytes and about 80,000 80, 80, uh, platelets. Albumin levels was low. He had 2.7 grams of albumin and physical exam showed uh, enlarged liver and spleen. Since he had no clinical aspect that could fully explain the renal 
dysfunction, proteinuria, and hematuria, they also requested a biopsy. During the procedure, he had at the US a normal kidney, but he showed a very enlarged and a diffused liver and spleen. So we have the tomography of it. You can see you know, uh, a big spleen and a big liver. It's twisted, I think. Yeah, this is the right. Okay. So big spleen and a big liver. Uh, and what we what we saw from the biopsy? Well, yeah, findings. We had a GG negative, IgA negative, IgM some little, just slightly stain of IgM, mostly negative. But C3, again, well, we had some uh, expressive C3, mostly in the mesangial area. Here you see, most in the mesangial area, we had some C3. Also some on the capillaries, we had some C3, we can see here among the capillaries. You can see again, all this C3, strong C3 we had. But the others one, C1Q was negative, fibrinogen negative, kappa, light chain, and lambda completely negative. So we're gonna saw, see now the light microscopy findings. Well, here you see, we had some glomps that show diffuse open tufts of the capillaries and some interstitial fibrosis and tubular <laughs> atrophy. Here you go, in some areas we had a diffuse inflammatory cells. Most of them was a lymphocyte, monocytes, and plasmocytes. No granulos, uh, no neutrophils, no eosinophils. Most of them uh, monocytes. <clears throat> and some areas on fibrosis. When we got a, a, a power magnification, we saw uh, enlarged glomerulite. So here we see an expansion of mesangium and the capillaries with some lymphocytes in between them. Here you have some neutrophils. So we see there is some mesangium expansion and also endocapillary uh, hypercellularity. Some glomes did not express that much, but some did express some <clears throat> uh, mesangial hypercellularity and some lymphocytes, leukocytes among the capillaries. Here you go again. It looks like mesangializes sometimes. Here you go. But when we get to the inflammatory cells in between the tubules, we saw some weird things. Look at the monocytes. We have some little extrusions in the cytoplasm of the monocytes that were in the interstitial inflammatory cells. Here again, 
we see some little vesicle structures that were habitating in the cytoplasm of the monocyte cells. Here we go. Here, when we see some intracellular suspicious parasites, we most of the times we look for Chagas disease or leishmaniosis. Here again, we see Dr. Stanley, we cannot hear you. Hello? Yes, you are back now. I'm back? Okay, yes. thank you. So we see those intra, every time we see that intracellular uh, structures, suspicious of uh, parasites, we have to look for after Chagas disease and leishmaniosis. So we do a monochemical reaction for it. So here we see staining at this, those little dots for leishmania. Leishmania SP. So that it's a, an infection for leishmaniosis and in the kidney. The patient also represented diarrhea with bloody diarrhea and they biopsied the, the, the column and the ileum. So the ileum show diffuse uh, inflammatory process with those parasites that also stand for leishmaniosis. So we had a C3, we can see on the electron microscopy, you see those deposits of C3, most on mesangial areas, some, some of them also uh, here, big, huge deposits we saw, some subepithelial, but most of them subendothelial and mesangial area. And the diagnosis we had for it was a C3-related uh, glomerulonephritis due to chronic leishmaniosis reactivation. The interesting of it at that is that this patient, he, when he was five years old, he was treated with visceral leishmaniosis. What is the deal with that? Every time a person has a visceral leishmaniosis, he, he goes for treatment with amphotericin B most of the time. And most of the time, we are not able to, um, to eliminate all the leishmaniosis. The, the disease became, became controlled after the treatment. It's just like tuberculosis. The, the patients is treated with tuberculosis. We, we control the disease, but the disease never goes away. So after this patient was transplanted over liver and took that immunosuppression, the disease 
reactivate again. So leishmaniosis, we have three types of leishmaniosis. Visceral leishmaniosis, the worst of it, is the most fatal. But he has also the cutaneous leishmaniosis and mucocutaneous leishmaniosis. And he had the visceral type of the disease. And so he developed the C3-related infectious disease. And also, you were able to see the disease infected the monocytes that were present at the between the tubular interstitial fibrosis. This is very interesting also because the parasite is not able to uh, habitate the tubular cells, the glomeruli, the podocytes. But once he developed a C3 GN, he made an interstitial inflammation due, due to that uh, complemented mediated disease. And that disease brought to the interstitial of the parenchyma of the kidney inflammatory cells. And the leishmaniosis could habitate the kidney due, due the presence of those cells. So they infected the monocytes. They, they most of the time, they, they replicate in the monocytes. So we are able to see everything together and the kidney due to that. Obrigado is thank you in Portuguese. So thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed. Thank you, Dr. Stanley. This was a fascinating case. Uh, Dr. Freer has a question. Moni, do you want to go ahead and ask yourself? No, Elizabeth asked uh, if this would oh. be for indication uh, for a kidney transplant and I answered uh, if they knew they probably wouldn't have done it at that time but I'm assuming they didn't have the diagnosis at the time uh, the transplant happened. No they didn't. Uh, he went to a liver transplant it was not kidney because right. he had, uh, but they didn't know they didn't knew the patient ever commented and also he had to go to the liver transplantation because he had no um, uh, he was a very bad, uh, the, the, the liver was a very bad scores. I, I don't remember the name of the scores of it, but it didn't have any function at all. So he had to receive that. But I think if they knew that they would be more vigilant to that. Well, and I don't know much about it, but uh, I'm wondering how much of liver function you can recover with, uh, with treatment. Uh, and uh, do you have to wait, if, if, if you cannot recover any function, do you have to wait uh, uh, to at least start treatment before transplanting uh, and, uh, uh, you know, with no, knowing that the disease would get worse, uh, assuming after uh, immunosuppression is started? Yeah. Any more questions for Dr. Arwu? Um, if not, then I would like to thank you on behalf of um, the pathology renal division here. 
Um, thank you for coming to our meeting. It was great to see these absolutely amazing cases. I doubt if we'll ever see this again outside of a <laughs> outside of a presentation setting. It's fascinating, fascinating case. Thank you. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you.